Today we are looking into a little letter that Peter wrote. We're looking into 2 Peter chapter 1 verses 16 through 21. 2 Peter chapter 1 verses 16 through 21. I've entitled this Known. And the things that we know, we let people know about, don't we? We know a lot of stuff. We come in this morning, we know about scores of yesterday's football games, don't we? Yes. I uh, apologize if you're a Tennessee fan, but yes. Um, uh, but we, uh, we rejoice in certain things like that, you know. Both of us, is, uh, those of us that are Alabama and Auburn fans, we come off and we have a good day today. Um, unfortunately, my Blazers lost to LSU, uh, UAB, uh, but that's okay. Uh, and I've got a lot of teams that are, that are favorite teams of mine, you know. Uh, I graduated from Liberty with my master's degree. They fell by one point, 23 to 22. Uh, they've had a good season so far. Uh, but they fell yesterday as well. But there's, and you hear me talking about this. And the things that I know about, I talk about. I, I play fantasy football with some friends of mine in the church and outside the church. And I like to talk to them about that stuff. Uh, I, I play fantasy basketball with my son and several of his friends. And we sometimes talk about that. You're probably thinking, some of you may be like, I don't know what that is. That's okay. I'm not going to explain it now and take the time for it. But uh, I talk about those things. And I also talk about what's most important in my life, and it's Jesus Christ. And I hope we're all talking about the thing, the person that's most important in our life, and that's Jesus Christ. And as we look at this text today in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 21, the three points that I'm going to look at today from this passage of Scripture is that you make what you know known. You make what you know known. That's just verse 16. Then verse 17 and 18, you make what you have heard known. And then in verses 19 through 21... We make what we, uh, you make what you heed known. That's not a word we use very commonly today, but it's in the scripture. So you know what I mean? I'm not going to jump too far outside the scripture to make my points. So you make what you heed known. You make what you know known. You make what you've heard known. And you make what you heed known. We make Christ known. Peter if there was anybody who was a bold individual, it was Peter, right? Didn't always start off that way. He, at first, he denied Christ. But Christ came back to him. They reconciled that relationship. And Peter went on to be one of the most prolific church planners and preachers to ever mark the face of this earth. Peter was vital to the work of the church. I've talked about that before in the past. Not going all about Peter, who he is today. But we are looking here in verses 16 through 21 of chapter 1 of 2 Peter. I'll read out of my copy of God's Word. You can follow along on the screen or in your copy of God's Word. Peter wrote these words underneath the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For we received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. 
And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So we find ourselves here in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 21. And as I said to you just a moment ago, this first verse I've entitled, You Make What You Know Known. And just as I illustrated a moment ago, I know a lot about fantasy football. I know a lot, I don't know as much about fantasy basketball, but I know a good bit about fantasy football. During the week, I'm looking at it, I'm listening to the news, I'm figuring out. Take, for example, this week, the Buffalo Bills, if you didn't know this, in Buffalo, they had six feet of snow. Six feet of snow. They've got two running backs that are five foot eleven. I don't think they're going to be running very much. You know what I'm saying? So I'm not starting a running back in Buffalo. Anyway, they moved and they're playing in Detroit today. So the quarterback that I had starting, I took him out. Well, then when I found out they moved the game to Detroit, which is an indoor facility, I put him back in. Because you know why? I know about fantasy football. And I know the Word of God. You need to know the Word of God. You need to know the God of the Word. You need to know the God of the Word. I need to know the God of the Word. There's a lot of people who claim to know the Word of God, but they don't know the God of the Word. We need to know Him. And we need to make Him known. You make what you know known. Look there in verse 16 of 2 Peter chapter 1. Peter says, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables. Now, up until this point, Peter has used the first person pronoun of I. I have done this and I have done that. Well, then he changes into for we because he's speaking on behalf of the apostles. He says we as apostles. Why? Why them as a whole? Because this is the affirmation of first-hand eyewitnesses. First-hand eyewitnesses. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables. They didn't just listen to what other people had said. They saw it firsthand. You think about the woman at the well. Jesus there in John 4. Jesus speaking to the woman at the well. Well, she goes back into town. And she tells the men folks. She says, could this be? Could this be the man? Well, they didn't just listen to her voice. They said, let us go see. They went out to see. We should bring people to the word of God to know the God of the word. We don't just follow cunningly devised fables. These are first-hand accounts of Jesus Christ. Life, death, resurrection. We don't, we don't follow cunningly devised fables. That word fables is, means it was deceitfully concocted. Somebody has concocted this idea in their mind and they're trying to deceive you and I. And Peter says, this, this is not what we've done. And this word fables, it comes from the original word of mythos, which is often viewed as a mechanism to teach religious truth to people who did not have the capacity to comprehend matters of the spirit directly. 
So they were concocted to help people understand. And he's saying, look, this isn't even that. We didn't follow that. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you. Here in just a couple of days, some of you maybe even now, maybe even preparing for our Thanksgiving meal today, what did you do? You went to a recipe. You went to a cookbook. You went to something maybe your mom, your grandmother, somebody had cooked before. And you pulled it out and you knew this recipe works. This recipe cooks up something that tastes really good. Right? So you pull it out because you know what? Because you know it's good. You know it's truth. And then you follow the guidelines of that to a T so that you can make it just as it always was. We as believers, we pull out the word of God and we follow it to a T because we know this is going to bring out exactly what it says it'll do. It'll bring out the disciple in you. Just as you brought out that recipe just this week or maybe tomorrow you'll start you're bringing out that sweet potato casserole recipe. You're bringing out that pecan pie or pecan pie as we say here in the South. You're bringing it out so that you can make it just like mother did or, or your grandmother did. We need to bring out the Word of God so we can live by it just as the disciples lived by it. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is what we're making known to people. He's coming back, guys. He didn't leave us to moan and grope in darkness. He said, I'm coming back. And, and you know, he said, when I go away, if I don't go away, you won't get the comforter. You won't get the counselor. You won't get the Holy Spirit. But I'm going away. And you know what? When I go away, you're going to do greater things than I ever did. Because now the Holy Spirit indwells every believer who calls upon Christ in faith. And where Christ could only go in certain places because he was manifest in the body of man, when the Holy Spirit is indwelling us, Christ can go anywhere and everywhere. Just as our scripture said this morning, like the dew that was on the grass, the people are among the nations. That's us. That's us. And we are to make Christ known. And it says, that scripture, it says the power and coming. That means it's powerful coming. His powerful coming. And that word coming is used often. I said advent, but also in the New Testament, that word is, is used as parousia, which is used uh, in the New Testament to mean the second coming of Christ. So he's coming back. It's going to be a powerful coming. And you've probably heard people preach through the book of Revelation. And they preached through that. And when they preached through it, they talked about how the clouds are going to break forth. And from the eastern sky, you're going to see it break and he's going to come. How powerful is it that one man can break open the sky to come back? That's Jesus. That's him coming back. It's going to be awesome. And Peter says, this is what we're preaching to you. But he said, we didn't follow these cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But... But were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Peter says, I saw him. I saw him after he rose from the grave. I heard him after he rose from the grave. I touched him after he rose from the grave. 
You know good and well, if you had seen somebody, if you were talking to somebody today, and they had a family member, they had somebody they knew. You know, people say that Elvis is still alive. I don't think so. But if they had seen him and heard him and touched him, you'd be like, oh, man, Elvis must be alive. You know, they say Tupac isn't dead. Tupac isn't dead. Anyway, y'all might not know who he is, but he's a rapper. Uh, But anyway, all these people, they say these two folks aren't dead. They're dead, okay? But Jesus isn't. He was seen. He was heard. He was touched by over 500 people. Over 500 people. Peter says, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. What a glorious God. There's a lot of people I see. I don't know how many. I don't know if I call anybody their majesty. (laughs) I mean, unless I've seen the Queen of England, which would now be the King of England. I don't think I would be calling anybody majestic here on this earth. You know what I mean? It's just just not a it's not a category of, of characteristic that we see much on this earth. It's only to be proclaimed of Christ. He said we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And he made all this known because it was the truth. And the truth always contrasts that of cunningly devised fables. A testimony always overrides other things. You think about a testimony, you and I, if you've been saved by the grace of God, you've got a testimony. And I can quote scripture all day long, but if you've got a life that's been changed by the grace of God, that testimony, they're going to they're gonna take that in a whole lot faster than they're just going to take in a whole bunch of memorization of some of a... Now listen, I'm not saying this is just some book, but to an unbeliever, this is just some book until they get saved by the grace of God, and then it becomes the living and authoritative word of God, and then it's got more to it. We take it. We take the truth. And we know the truth because the truth is in the word of God. And then you make what you have heard known. Look at verses 17 and 18. Peter says, For he, being Jesus Christ, received from God the Father honor and glory. He received it. What is that honor? That is an exalted status. He was given a name that is above all names. And glory, that's a splendid appearance For he received from God the Father exalted status and splendid and a splendid appearance when such a voice came from the excellent glory. Listen to that explanation of who God is. When he says that, Peter writes that we know that many a times the Jewish people did not even want to say the name of Yahweh. They didn't want to say that name. So they had referenced him as some of the most uh, descriptive, beautiful language other than his name, because they were like, I don't know if I should even call him that. So he calls him the, the excellent glory. And what is he referencing here? He's referencing when Jesus was baptized, when he came up from out of the water, when John the baptizer baptized Jesus Christ, and he came up out of the water, and, and the, uh, the voice, the, the Holy Spirit descended like a dove and landed upon him. And a voice from heaven spoke and said, This is my son in whom, I, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. This scripture also alludes to uh, Psalm 2-7 where God addresses the Messianic king. And also in Isaiah 42-1 where it talks about the suffering servant. He said, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. In verse 18, 
And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. So there's two different examples of Christ being who he is. And, and Peter's saying, these are my two first-hand accounts of seeing him as he was. Who he is. I saw it. I heard the voice of God the Father when he was baptized. I heard the voice of God the Father when he was transfigured on that mountainside. He says, and we, the apostles, those that were there, this is found in Matthew 17, 1 through 8. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him, when they were with Jesus on the holy mountain. That's it, like I said, Matthew 17, 1 through 8. And he says, we have heard the voice of God proclaim that Jesus is his son. That's another eyewitness account. It's an eyewitness account by God the Father. You remember Peter, he said, hey, let's, let's, let's build some buildings right here. Let's, let's hang out on the mountainside and let's worship Jesus. We see really who he is now. And, and the angel's like, no, no, no. Don't be doing that. Don't do that. Don't do that right now. We are to be messengers of the good news of Jesus Christ. We can't just get complacent of coming into the house. It's not just coming into the house. It's going out into the community. It's going out into the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We are to go out into the world since we've been saved. We've been saved by the grace of God. We, should, we are eyewitnesses and participants now in the grace of God. Of God. So you make what you know known. You make what you've heard known. You hear things all the time. We, we make them known. You think if this is valuable information, I need to pass it along. If you're a parent and you think, man, this will benefit my kids. I listened to a podcast this week that I thought would be really good for uh, Brogan. And, and it was talking about, uh, and, and, and for Darren Bushy. I sent it to both of them. Because it was talking about men. We are either lions or lambs. And neither one of them are bad because Jesus is both lion and lamb. So it's talking about that. And the guy that the preacher was interviewing was a military fella. So I was like, you know what? Darren will benefit from this. He's in the military. And I was like, my son will benefit from this because it's good for him. He needs to know that, that you can't just be a defender all the time. Sometimes you've got to show love and grace and compassion. So I sent that to him because I knew this was something they need to hear. So you make what you have heard known. I know. How many of y'all have ever passed along something you've heard? You thought, this is good. i got to pass it along. And if you've got a Facebook, a Twitter, or an Instagram, you better hold your hand up. Because I know good and well, you've shared something. You've shared something. It might not even been really worth sharing, but you shared it anyway, right? There was something you had heard or read that you wanted to make known. Listen, we have heard. And listen, every single week that you come in here, you're hearing the best news that you could ever hear. The best news you could ever hear. That the God of all glory, the creator of all things, the Son speaker, the, the, the one who speaks universes into existence, he has called you by name and said he or she is mine. I have given my son to die on their, in their place for their sin. And we hear that right here in this word. There's nothing else greater to hear or to be made known than to tell people about the good news of Jesus Christ. God makes that known through his word. 
So you make what you have heard known. Peter had heard the word of God and he made that known. And then lastly there in verses 19 through 21, you make what you heed known. That means to pay attention to. You make what you pay attention to known. We need to pay attention to the Lord Jesus Christ. We pay attention to a lot of things in our lives, don't we? We let a lot of things distract us, and I speak for first-hand account. We let a lot of things distract us in this life. We let, we, let, we let our phones distract us. We let TVs distract us. Sometimes family even, sometimes even family, can become one of the biggest distractions in our lives. We've got to focus on Christ. We've got to focus on Christ. So we pay attention. You make what you pay attention to known. Look there in verse 19. Of 2 Peter chapter 1. It says, And so we have this prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. So let's, let's slow down and take this apart a little bit by little bit. And so we have this prophetic word confirmed. This prophetic word refers to the Messianic prophecies of the Old Testament. You know, Jesus... There was over 300 prophetic prophecies about the man who would be the Messiah of the Jews. There was over 300 of them in the, in the Old Testament. Jesus fulfilled every one of them. People concoct these ideas that, oh, they, they set him up. They set him up to fulfill all these things. They, they made up this man to fulfill all these things. There is a historian, a Jewish historian, who was not a Christian. His name's Josephus. And he recorded information, a historian. And he records so much of the history that occurred during that time and so many of the things that Jesus did that met, that met those prophecies. If, if, if a Jewish historian is saying that he's meeting the prophetic uh, cause of the prophets of the Old Testament, you've got to believe that he is who he says he is. I don't need Josephus to tell me that. The Word of God tells me that. But there's just something to back it up. From a standpoint of which they did not want Christ to be known as the Messianic King. It, this, this prophetic word confirmed. And it's, and it's confirmed. How is it confirmed? How is something confirmed? Well, I'll tell you how it was confirmed in this. It was confirmed in the eyewitness account of Jesus Christ fulfilling them all. He did them. And Peter saw it. The apostles saw it firsthand. Like I said, this wasn't secondhand notice. Peter was an apostle, not just a disciple or a follower of the way. He was an apostle. And to be an apostle means that you walked with Christ while he lived, you saw him die, and you saw him rise from the grave. That was what it meant to be an apostle as noted in the New Testament. And Paul, what Peter, excuse me, was an apostle. He saw these things. The life of Christ was confirmed because he saw them. We don't have apostles walking around today on this earth. There's people who may say, I do an apostolic mission or I have an apostolic ministry. Okay, some people construe that to mean like a church planter of that nature, something like that. But that's not accurate to the true definition that you see in the New Testament. There are only 12 apostles. There are only 12 that walked with him daily, saw him live, saw him die, saw him rise again, saw him on the mountainside when he uh, ascended back to heaven. That was the 12. 
And of course, one of those changed. So really, I guess it was 13. Uh, well, it was 12 because one of them committed suicide before he rose from the grave. So uh, we see that there. But it goes on to say, verse 19. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, and that's confirmed in the person and work of Jesus, which you do well to heed. We heed the life of Christ as believers. We see how he responded in situations. I've said it before, I'll say it again, and you'll hear it again and later on down the road. There's many people who act like a Christian, but not many who react like a Christian. We've got to see how Christ reacted in situations, and we react the same. We need to be mindful and observe and read the life of Christ in the Word of God so we may know the God of the Word, which you will do well to heed, and to heed it as a light that shines in a dark place. For when? Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. How, how, does, how does it come into us? It's like a light. When Christ comes into us, it's a light that shines in a dark place. Our lives are dead. Scripture tells us we are dead apart from Christ. But when the light of Christ comes into our hearts, we have life and life more abundantly. This is what we have. And it says, until the day dawns. It says, Let's read this all together so we can understand what he's saying here. So we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place. This prophetic word confirmed as a light shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. The morning star, that, that is also understood to be the light bringer. The light bringer. And 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says this, For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in, <laughs> in the face of Jesus Christ. That is that light. That light comes. Jesus is the light. We know that. You can read that over in John 3. Uh, in the latter parts there after John three sixteen. He is the light of life, Jesus Christ is. He is the morning star that shines and brings that light into our hearts. And Peter says this to those that are uh, reading this epistle. He says, knowing this first, you need to know this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. What does that mean? That word interpretation means loosening or untying. It is, it is not of any private loosening or untying for prophecy. This isn't something where God just comes in and gives somebody some isolated understanding. The Word of God is open for all, and we should be able to all come to the same conclusion from the text. Nobody's going to go over here and say, well, this is what it means, and, and God gave it directly to me and only me, and, and you can't understand. That's, that's what the Catholic Church tried to do for a long time. They tried to keep the word to themselves, to have a private interpretation, so they may hold it over people. But when Martin Luther found out about it, and he got the reading, he got the reading in Romans, he said, there's things wrong with this. This is not about private interpretation. Everybody can read this and get a full understanding that this is what God is saying to us. This is what God is saying. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation for prophecy never came by the will of man. Prophecy never came by the will of man. False teaching flows from the minds of men and women. Truth flows from the heart and mind of the living God. That's where it comes from, not from us. 
we create our own gods because we want to be worshipped. I'm not going to create a God that I have to bow to. Because in my sinfulness, I'm going to create a God that bows to me. So if, if someone comes to you and, it, and it, all it does is, is approve of their lifestyle, it approves of their choices, it approves of their way of life without any repentance, without any change, that's a created God within their own heart and mind. We're in a society today that is creating a God of their own making, saying, affirm me, affirm me as I am. And, and people are going, where, where, is, where is that in the Bible? You just be you. I tell you what, that makes me so sick to hear that phrase. You just be you. No, you just be like Jesus. You just be like Jesus. Last week, the very last line of the passage of Scripture, it talks about being perfect as he is perfect. I'm not supposed to be me. I'm supposed to be Christ. We got a society today that just wants everybody to be themselves. You just be yourselves apart from Christ. And you're going to find yourself on a wide path to a burning place called hell. You don't need to do you. You need to do Jesus. You need need to make what you know known as believers. You need to make what you've heard. Here's your ears. (laughs) You need to make what you've heard known. And you need to make what you have heeded known. And you need to know, to, to know what to heed, you got to know the Word of God. you got to know the Word of God. You can't just, we can't, I can't, you can't sit here and wait for your Sunday school teacher or me to expound on the Word of God for you to know how you should live your life. If you're waiting on me, you've waited six days too long. When every day, as an individual, you can have a tight relationship with the creator of all things. Where you pour out your heart to him when you say you don't, when you, when you don't understand him. When you say you love him. When you say you need him. All these different areas, you can do that every single day. You don't have to wait on me. You ain't got to wait on a prayer that flows through this microphone or through this one. You can pray. You can talk to God. You can do that. So this this prophecy, this interpretation is not isolated. This this interpretation comes right here by the Word of God. We've got it right here in front of us. It never came by the will of man. He's saying all this that has been given to him and all of this that is given to us. This interpretation is not private. This uh, uh, interpretation did not come by uh, devising cunning fables or, or cunningly devised fables. It doesn't come by that way. What it comes by is it comes by the Holy Spirit. Look at what it says as it finishes out. There's no prophecy of Scripture. is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but by holy men of God who spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. This Bible, people for years have tried to discount the Bible. Oh, man wrote that. What man wants to say that he's a terrible person? I don't want to tell you that I'm a terrible person. I'm not going to write a book that tells me I'm a terrible person. If this was written by a man, you know, why, why did they put in there that, that when Noah got off the ark, he slept with his two kids. He, he, he was 
He was schemed by his children and slept with them. Nobody wants that written down. Nobody wants that. I'm sure Samson would have said, hey, mark that out of the book that that woman schemed me and cut my hair. Just let them know that we went from, I just decided to get a haircut, and then it grew back, and then I pushed down the pillars. We wouldn't have put that, but you know why? Because this is inspired by God. It shows us that people that are sinful and weak need a powerful, holy God to redeem them. That's what this book says. It never says that we're perfect, because we're not. There's only one man that's been perfect, and that's Jesus. And we turn to him, and we know, we, we know him. We know, we hear this week in and week out. We heed this. If we are true believers of Jesus Christ, we're going to take what's in here, and we're going to say, man, I really shouldn't have done that this week. Father, forgive me for what I've done. We repent of those sins. We confess those things before him, and then he forgives us, just as it says in 1 John 1, 9, that if we will confess our sin he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness if somebody wrote a book about me today it would be bad it would be it would be old testament bad and 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 and, and praise god though it'll be redemption and reconciled right new testament style i'll be really pumped up about that i wouldn't want the end of my story to be in the old testament because just about everybody got smote burned Killed, stabbed, something happened to them. But in the New Testament, Jesus forgave, showed grace, and they were forgiven. And I praise God that I'm a New Testament believer. But it came through an understanding of a God who was holy in the Old Testament, didn't put up with no trash. He said, if you're mine, you're my kid, just like you and I. If we are God's child, listen, discipline may not seem pleasant for the moment. But in the end, it'll yield the peaceable fruits of righteousness for those who are trained by it. I don't like discipline. I ain't never liked it. But I learned to heed what my daddy said. I'll never forget coming in and getting, getting in trouble with my dad. There's a few times I got whipping. Sometimes I get a whipping with a belt. Sometimes I, I rarely got whipped with the hand. Daddy, daddy didn't use his hand very well. Uh, I say very well. He could have used it very well. He's a pretty strong man. But he didn't use his hand. And I've heard from psychologists, parents shouldn't whip their children with their hands because it associates, you know, pain coming physically from, from their parents. They should use something else, you know, a ladle, <laughs> uh, <laughs> a, a, a belt. <laughs> Julie gives a thumbs up on that one. Um, a, a belt, a, a switch, something of that nature, so that it is not tied to you specifically where the pain literally comes from. I've heard that about psychologists. But listen, God the Father, he disciplines those who are his own so that you can understand that he loves you enough not to leave you where you're at. That whole you do you thing, that's basically saying God ain't going to discipline you. You're okay. You've not done anything wrong. You just keep doing you. God loves you as you are. No, he don't. God don't love you as you are. God loves you as he sees that you can be. And he loves you enough not to leave you as you were. Don't fall into that false teaching of you do you. You do Jesus. You do Jesus. And how do you do that? Well, you do that because you have, you have known him. You've known him. You've heard of him. And you've heard the word of God that has come by his prophet, by his teaching. 
And I'll close out with this. He says, holy men of God, they spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. This whole New Testament, even the Old Testament, but primarily we understand this from a New Testament perspective. They didn't write this stuff down of their own accord. They wrote it down by the leading and the guiding of the Holy Spirit. So how do we, how do, we do this? How, how did we come by the Word of God? We pay attention. How do we heed these? We, we pay attention to the Old Testament Word. We pay attention for false teachers. And we pay attention to all of Scripture. We've got to pay attention to all of Scripture. And I believe if you look through all of the Scripture, all of the Word of God, you'll see a God who comes back time and time again to restore those who are His and to bring those who are far away near. 